1 Timothy, the third chapter. Now, if you want to get back to that. I want to read to you verses 1 through 7 in the King James Version, then we'll read it out of the Living Bible. I've pointed out, and you probably find more things, but I have pointed out 14 things that the Word of God says concerning one who is called to be a minister of the Gospel. Now, it's very important that you understand this. I'm not just doing this for my benefit. I'm doing it for your benefit, because if ever the time comes that you need to find where God wants you in a church, I want you to know that God does not tell you to find out if they've got good chandeliers or a nice big narthex or a youth program or a big sanctuary or if they've got a good choir. He says you have to find out who the shepherd is and examine that shepherd's life before you follow him. He said, I will assure you whatever that shepherd does, if he does things contrary to the word of God, that same spirit that's in him will eventually get into your family and it'll show up in your children and your children's children. That's why the Apostle Paul says there's only one way you should follow me. You follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, if I, as the Apostle Paul, do not follow Christ according to what the Word of God says, quit following me. Oh, but they have such a wonderful music program. I mean, there's so much excitement in the church. That is not, you know, nowhere does the Word of God say that's the choice. That's the way you choose the church. It's by the quality and life of the person that's in leadership. God calls a man and he sets down requirements. If he sets down requirements for that man, then you and I need to look for those requirements when we find out who we're going to follow. You see, I'm exposing myself here. I'm telling you, check me out. Do I make mistakes all the time? I'm human. But there are requirements that God places here that we need to be able to examine when we think about going to a church. I have people calling me and writing me every week. I'm in this church, and I just read your book, and uh, we've got the, the pastor that's divorced and remarried. We've got a lot of deacons that are divorced and remarried. We've got people that are in their third and fourth marriages that are teaching Sunday school, and, and they're telling us we need to do that and the other thing. And what are we going to do? I said, find yourself a shepherd. Well, there are none around here. I said, you cry out to your chief shepherd and tell him you need a shepherd, and you go wherever you have to do to get one. Well, you haven't, you know, they, they don't want to stay where they are, but they don't want to pay the price, whatever it takes to get where they need to be. May I say it again? The time is going to come in the days ahead where it's going to be more important where you go to church than where you live or where you work. They're going to need that support system in the days ahead. Let me read 1 Timothy, the third chapter. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop overseer or pastor or shepherd. He desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, have all the gifts of the Spirit, know how to dance in the Spirit, clap his hands, and is that what you see in there? That's not in there, is it? He's talking about quality of character, not the gifts. Satan can, can counterfeit all the gifts, but he cannot counterfeit Righteous living. He cannot counterfeit morality. You might have a, a pastor, and you know the pastor that's just got all these gifts flowing through. He says, woo, it must be of God. Look at his character first. Why? Because when Moses was in Egypt, every miracle he performed, the magicians in that day could perform the same miracle. By another power, but they did it. Satan can heal. Satan can even give you tongues. Satan can tell you something about another person, give you a word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Sober of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one 
that ruleth his own house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. I didn't write that verse, by the way. One of the most prominent things I see in the lives and families of pastors today, boy, do they get upset when I talk about it. This is not a suggestion. This is a requirement for one who is in the ministry. His family is supposed to obey quickly and quietly. They're to be in subjection. Why? Well, that's just Paul's idea. Is it really? Look at the next verse. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? That's the comparison. Not a novice being lifted up, less being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report with them, of them which are without, lest he fall into a reproach and the snare of the devil. Let me read it to you now of the Living Bible. It is a true saying that if a man wants to be a pastor, he has a good ambition. For a pastor must be a good man whose life cannot be spoken against. Number two, he must have only one wife at a time. Oh, no, that's the new translation. I'm sorry. Now, this one says he must have one wife. One wife. And I've had pastors say, that means one at a time. I've literally had pastors tell me, that means a pastor should have one wife at a time. And thirdly, he must be hardworking. Fourthly, thoughtful. Fifth, he should be orderly. Sixth, he should be full of good deeds. Seventh, he must enjoy having guests in his home. Eight, he must be a good Bible teacher. Nine, he must be a drinker. Uh, excuse me, he must, he, he must not be a drinker. <laughs> oh well, hallelujah. Uh, number ten, uh, he should not be quarrelsome. Number eleven, but he must be gentle and kind. And Twelve, and not be one who loves money. Now, it, he shouldn't hate money either. You say, oh, now you're trying to hedge your bet. No, I'm not. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money. It means that that should not be the basis of his security. That should not be the thing he seeks after, craves, and desires. He must not, must not be a lover of money. He must not be a hater of money. He must be wise in using money. Number 13, he must have a well-behaved family with children who obey quickly and quietly. There it is again. For if a man can't make his own little family behave, how can he help the whole church? Now, let's just stop right there and tell you something. I've had pastors say, well, I have been, I'm so busy, I don't have time to be with my children. You're too busy. Well, my wife doesn't agree with me in my correction of my children. Then get out of the ministry. Why? Because your family comes first. Well, I feel called of God in the ministry. My wife disagrees, and you aren't called in the ministry. That's right. Because you and your wife are one. And if he called your, you, he'd call your wife too. I know this sounds very harsh sometimes, but I'm telling you something. God established the family before he established the office. And for any pastor to tell me that he has, he lets his wife do the correcting, lets his wife take care of the kids, I want to tell you something. You just missed it, buddy. God did not call your wife to take that responsibility. The husband, as the pastor, is supposed to direct his wife and his children and teach them and instruct them in the things of the Lord and walk along, pray with them and encourage them and spend time with them. That's why there's many times, when I, when I first came to this church, I told this church, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, that my family comes before you. 
Now, you may think I should be out there every day and every night doing things, but my family is going to come before you. And I'll tell you why. Because, first of all, if I lose my wife, I'm not qualified to preach. If I lose my children in the, in the world, then I'm a lousy example and I shouldn't be preaching in the first place. Because the Word of God says my children to obey quickly and quietly and I am to teach them and instruct them and know how to... If I can't do that, how am I going to direct you? Some people say, are you against women preachers? I say, of course not. If they're the husband of one wife and rule their house well, they can be one. That's all it says. The two requirements are rule their own house well, and many of them do that, but I've never seen one be the husband of one wife. But when it says here that it's very important for a pastor to rear his family properly, you wonder why one denomination last year lost 1,254 pastors from the pulpit because of immorality? One denomination? You wonder why pastors are running off with women all over the place? Because the church has opened the door to this immorality, and the pastor has put the church before the family, and the families are being destroyed. Now, I'm talking about one who is called of God. He cannot make excuses. If his, if his wife and family does not follow him, then get out of the pulpit until you get your life straightened out. Why? Because that's what it says. And you want to get a preacher mad, you tell him that sometimes. They'll tell you, well, the reason my kids are so ornery, they play with the deacon's kids. What do you expect? Give me a break. The deacon's kids that says the same things, they ought to be straightened up too. I remember when I went to the first church in Colorado, and I was up preaching one time, and the young people had gotten into the habit when the choir was all through, they would go up into the balcony and sit in the balcony, and they're up there punching each other and laughing and everything else. And right in the middle of the sermon, I stopped and I went, young people. And, boy, and the parents started laughing down below. I said, I wouldn't laugh if I were you parents. I would be ashamed. Why would you allow your children to sit behind you in the balcony and act like a bunch of idiots up there while you're sitting down here thinking you're getting fed and you're losing your family? I said, I want your parents to go get your kids and bring them down here and make them sit with you. High school kids. Parents started looking at each other. I said, no, I'm going to wait. I'll wait right here until you go get your kids and bring them down here. They're sitting up there making all kinds of foolish things, doing all kinds of foolish things up there. You bring them down here right now. And some of them didn't go. I said, I, I, I got time. I'll wait. Well, it was fun. A couple of them started getting up and the rest of them started going up there. And I saw Dad look around and go, he goes, I said, your dad said yes. Come on. And they came downstairs. Afterwards, they came up and said, man, that was embarrassing. I said, I know it was. I hope you'll never have to have it happen again. But I said, if they do it again, I'll do it again. You ought to know where your kids are. Have them sit in front of you. So if they get out of line, I don't have to tell them. You tell them. Well, they started sitting in front of their parents after that. So I just had the parents, I told the adults, I said, from now on, the first five rows on both sides are going to be empty until the choir is down. And the young people are coming down in the front row. Parents, you go sit in the balcony and see them better. Well, who do you think you are? That's why the pastor has to know how to take care of his children so you know how to deal with family. Dad, get in line. Do the right thing. Watch your kids. It's not my responsibility. It's your responsibility. Do it. But if your kids are running all over and getting into all kinds of problems and out drinking and smoking and running around as a pastor, what are you going to say to your congregation? Well, let me recommend to you about your children. You know, you got to... You have to understand discipline and principles of rearing children before you can learn how to work with people in your church. You see, I told you, I never told my children what they had to do. I just gave them a choice. And I used, you want to go outside and play? Yeah, get to get some homework. You can go out and play. And there are people in this church... They'll say something to me. I'll say, well, according to the Word of God, if you do this, then you can do that. But if you don't do this, you can't do that. And some of them say, I don't like for him to tell me what to do. I didn't tell you what to do. I just gave you your choices. Choose what you want to do. Well, I don't like to be talked to like that. That's because you're in rebellion. 
You don't want to know what biblical principles are? Can't help you. My children always had the choice of obeying me or disobeying me and having to face God. And whatever punishment I decided they had to have for not obeying me. Parents, can I just interject this? Don't ever hesitate to correct your children and teach them, instruct them, and make them obey you. They will not rise up to get angry at you and hate you later on. They'll love you. If you don't do it, they'll hate you. Children want boundaries. And it doesn't make a difference what all the rest of the people in the world are doing. If they're your kids, they don't do some things because you have standards in your home. Because God made you responsible for your children. God did not make me responsible for my neighbor's kids. If they want to look like absolute idiots, if they want to wear clothes that make them look like a bum that didn't even make it, that's up to them. But my children are not going to do that. And they never were allowed to do that. Why? Because we, we, we're walking by a different drummer. We're not listening to what the homosexuals have to say to us, what the rebels have to say to us, what the rock musicians have to say to us about dress and hairstyle and all these things. They don't set the standard for us. You know, I finally got pressured enough that I cut off my sideburns way up here and everybody's relieved by that. I said, you know, if I'd have left them there for another few years, they'd have been back down there and I'd been right all the time. But I couldn't care less for what the standards of the world are. I see some people with the hair clear down to here and then hair buzz clear off their head and then half of it are gone and third of it gone and crisscrosses and lettering and everything all up there. Why? What are we doing? Who are we following? I've been in homes lately where I have seen boys that are 12 years of age with almost nude women on the walls. Great big pictures of nude women on the walls. And parents talking about the things of the Lord. I mean, they're dumber than a stump. 14. The pastor must not be a new Christian because he might be proud of being chosen so soon and pride comes before fall. In parentheses, the living Bible says Satan's downfall is an example. And then number 15, also he must be well spoken of by the people outside the church, those who aren't Christians, so that Satan can't trap him with many accusations and leave him without freedom to lead his flock. The basic thing is, if you and I cannot do in our home, produce in our home what we should produce, why export it? And don't do as I, as you say, don't expect people to do what you say, they are going to do what you do. Someone says if you have a smoking preacher, you'll have a drinking congregation. And it's the standard that's set by the pastor and his family that's going to set the tone of the church. What would you do if I started coming to church here in wild clothes, shorts on, and all this stuff? You know, before long, you'd be people coming here in bikinis. And I'm kidded and ribbed a lot about the fact that I've always got my tie on, always got my suit coat on. Somewhere along the line, we've got to show, you know, if you go to work for some company, they insist on suit and tie and dress. Nobody says a word about it. That's what they require. Disney, you've got to have your hair cut a certain way, you've got to wear a certain clothes. Oh, yes, we'll do that. I think there's a certain dignity about the Lord's work. And I always encourage the men. A lot of times I kid them about it in the back room. I say, who's got their sport coat on today and wants to lead in prayer this morning, you know? You let them know, you know, we want to put on a good presentation to people that coming to church and worshiping God is a very important thing in our life. Now, I know that sometimes, some people, and I have to ask forgiveness sometimes because a lot of times I see children doing something out of line and I say, hey, it's automatic. I always did it with my kids. If they were doing something wrong and looking and getting into something, I could be talking to you and I just, like that. And they'd turn around and they knew that was it. Twice and they had it. 
And I feel badly, and I, and I wish my children were being raised again from little up right here in this church. They were almost raised by the time I got here. But you know, I actually had someone say to me, oh, we want you to marry a real young woman when you get remarried now so you can start another whole family and show us how you did it. I said, I've done it. I have done it. <laughs> and I know it works. I, I, want, I want to tell you one thing right now. Some of you don't know me very well, but I will tell you this much, and I thank God for this. What I'm trying to teach you, I know works. I had two children that were very different in personality. But never for 30 minutes in that whole time they went through what was called teenage years that we never had. Never for 30 minutes did they rebel against us as parents. They were always with us serving the Lord. And I do know I've actually had people leave this church because of that fact. Oh, you're goody, goody kids. I said, give me a break. Are you saying that if they went out and got on drugs and went out and got involved in sexual immorality and so forth, then you feel more at ease? I'm sorry, then you better leave. Well, what I'm trying to tell you, I told you, we never had teenagers. Our kids were 12 plus 1, 12 plus 2, 12 plus 3, because teenagers are brats. And we didn't want any brats in our house, so we got all the way through the teenage years without having any brats in our house. But uh, if you walk with your children and teach your children and love your children and correct your children and instruct your children, mom and dad together, not one or the other, never divided, they will come up and they will serve the Lord. It works. All I'm saying is, Paul the Apostle said, these are not suggestions, these are requirements for a pastor. I talked to a couple some time ago who knew this teaching. And today they're attending a church where the pastor, I knew him before when he was married, and he and his first wife were fighting and scrapping right in public. I mean, we were having church fellowships together, and they would argue and fight with each other right in public. And finally she left him. And he turned right around and married another woman, and now he's got a church, and these people are sitting there. And this couple's children are starting to have trouble in their marriages now. I said, what did you expect? You opened them up to a spirit of immorality, sexual immorality, when you put them under a leader who has those spirits in him. Who totally rejects what the Word of God says, and because I've got this gift, I've got this talent, I've got this ability, I can preach. Now, please understand, this isn't Joe Webb's message. I just read to you what Paul the Apostle said. He's saying, if you can't live it at home, don't export it. These are the requirements of one who is called into the ministry. Now, yes, there are those who have a different Christ, a different gospel, and a different spirit. And they'll go on just like nothing's ever happened, but their judgment is true. And sure. Why? Because it's contrary to what the Word of God says. Fifteen requirements for a pastor. The same portion of Scripture is over in Titus. Starts all over again. Doesn't say he can speak in tongues. Doesn't say people go down under the power when he touches him. Doesn't say that the whole crowd just goes and the whole crowd falls. Doesn't say that. It says character. Integrity, honesty, reputation. Those are the things you have to look for when you look for a leader. Let me tell you, when I say those things, it scares me because I realize there is responsibility that's on one that's in leadership. I would much rather follow than lead. But all you have to do is one step ahead to lead. You know that, don't you? And the reason probably I know what some of you are going through because I've gone through most of it myself. If there's a ditch to fall into, if there's a block to stumble over, I've probably done it. And that's try out and ask the Lord to help me. 